Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And today, it is my distinct honor to be hosting one of my idols from my teenage years on the show. Uh, his pictures were up on my bedroom walls back then. I was a huge fan as a kid, and I am a huge fan now. That has not changed. He is an outstanding guitar player, an excellent songwriter, and I'm going to tell you something. He's one of the nicest guys in all of rock and roll, and I'm not kidding. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me from California today, Def Leppard guitarist, Mr. Phil Collin. Phil, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you, man? I'm great, and thank you for a lovely intro there. That was lovely. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I was a huge, I was a huge yeah. fan. I loved Pyromania when I was a kid. A funny story, I think I might have told you this when we met in Toronto, that uh, in my art class when I was in grade nine, I drew this picture of you and Steve Clark, and uh, I actually got an A on it for my art project. <laughs> so if really? You, it'd, be, it'd be kind of funny if I still had that thing. I was looking around for it, but I couldn't find it. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to see that. I'd, <laughs> that'd be really cool. Yeah. We, we, I met this guy. This was in Dublin. Yeah. Uh, last time we played there, and um, on his calves, he had Steve on one calf and me on the other calf. No. Uh, from, from, so yeah, tattooed. Yeah. That's hilarious. So, uh, so there you go. That's awesome. Uh, so, so Phil, listen, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I know you're super busy with the uh, 30th anniversary of the Great Leopard Record uh, Hysteria. Congratulations on that. Thank you. It's hard to believe that it's been 30 years since that came out, isn't it? It really is. I, I mean, we, we've been constantly busy. You know, we, we had like one year off um, since I joined the band in 1982. Yeah. We, we took 2010 off. But every, every other year has been filled with something it's either touring recording or both yeah uh, and at the moment we're actually busier than we've ever been there's so much going on there's um you, you know people are excited about the band you know it's almost like an indian summer for our career or something but mm-hmm. uh, yeah there's so much attention being paid to def Leppard, whether it's people wanting us to you know t-shirts like retail like internationally it's kind of it's just got crazy like li- literally every day i have to approve um t-shirt designs and stuff because oh, you know, really? there's, there's, there's such a demand for it all over the place so yeah and then we you know we're, we're getting ready you know to do south america uh next month we'll be playing you know rock in rio and then we're going to argentina and chile and stuff like that mexico um so we've we got that for this year but next year is going to be a really heavy duty touring year again you know uh-huh. even longer next year so um like i say there's so much going on and you know i'm actually starting some some new Def Leppard songs at the moment wow um we've got some great ideas I don't know whether it'll be an album or they'll even be ready for next year but uh certainly got got some really cool stuff on the go so it, it's pretty exciting and and yes we, we, we never stop moving it's crazy that's fantastic man no I know that you guys have been doing very well for well as long as I can remember I mean you've gone out on those tours with Poison I, I saw you with the Kiss show in Toronto right um, last year you were with Tesla and Poison again I believe so yeah yeah so that, that'll that that'll make the years race by you know all of that stuff you're constantly busy it's like wow where did that go and that's literally where it does go it's like yeah. all this other stuff taking up the time you know oh yeah yeah absolutely so now with respect to um hysteria how's the promotion going for it well we're, we're done with that you know it was only just uh joe done some a, a lot of promo in in london and i I'd, I'd done a bunch in la and was all doing interviews all over the place but um the record label done done an outstanding job this was our former label you know uh, universal they released yep. uh, you know, hard copy, the, the physical, and um, 
they they done just an amazing job so i was very impressed and it was kind of nice to to work in tandem with them especially on something that was so special to all of us so uh yeah and that was really cool and 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 again yeah so many people got excited about that as well just the you know the the, the songs are still relevant you still hear them being played all over the place you know especially pour some sugar on me it's kind oh, of, for uh, sure you know, pops up on all sorts of things. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, no, the, uh, well, that, that that album, Phil, was basically a greatest hits record, really. I mean, like, the first six tracks from that album, I think, were top ten hits somewhere in the world, right? Right, yeah. And, and you know, that was the Mutt Langer, our producer, that, that, was his, that was the concept, you know, that was the briefing. He said, look, let's make uh, seven hit singles, we're going to do a rock version of Thriller. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. It's going to take a lot of work. Things that don't just happen like that, and we did. You know, it's three years in the making, and a lot, of, a lot went into it. So, um, but yeah, no, he was absolutely on the money with with his uh, not even predictions. I mean, they, they, the whole thing. It, it, we had sixty three minutes of music, and he said, "Look, I, I think this CD thing is going to really take off," and it really did. I mean, most of the sales came from CDs, you know, and. Uh, and now, obviously, we've got it released on on 180 vinyl, but we remastered it for that as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's it's win-win. It sounds great on on kind of any format. Yeah. Uh, but at the time when we released it, it was that was a, a a bit of a risk. Everyone's going, oh, 60, you know, 63 minutes. You know, the quality's going to suffer, and it's like, yeah, well, it didn't at all. You know, it's it's one of the uh, a really cool kind of um, audio album as well. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear it's doing so well. That's great. So in addition to that, Phil, I know that you have uh, a very nice little blues outfit that you play in on the side called Delta Deep, which I'm a fan of. And, um, you know, the, the thing that I like about Delta Deep is, uh, you know, in addition to the fact that the guitar is is hard edged, it's right up front. You, you get a great production out of that on the 2015 debut record. Um, I like that it's legitimate blues, you know, it's not just that simple kind of 12 bar slide guitar blues style that a lot of bands today play. Right. Um, I, I think, you know, with blues and, and especially with Delta Deep, we, we, we kind of took the, the idea from, you know, when, when, uh, the main street Delta blues, when it turned into Chicago blues and you, mm-hmm. you'd see these, uh, shows, you know, that you'd see BB King, Chuck Berry the Isley Brothers, James Brown, all on the, at the same night. You know, Jimi Hendrix playing guitar for the Isley Brothers, Little Richard. Wow. All these guys are be playing. I know. It's a, I've seen a poster that, that kind of pretty much encompassed all of those guys. And That's unbelievable. All, and and B.B. King. So so you'd go, okay, this all came from the same place. And it, it kind of it turned into rock and roll. It turned into funk. It turned mm-hmm. into soul. Yep. And it had a, had a bluesy thing. So we really, with Delta Deep, pretty much do that and that's kind of what zeppelin did and it's kind of what the stones did i think as opposed to just trying to stay faithful to yeah. someone else's thing you you experiment with it and, and kind of grow and that's that's what you do as an artist and i think we, we dealt a deep that that was that was the exciting part about it it's like you use the, the blues as, as, as a base yeah um but you can go off anywhere you can go jazz you can go metal almost in hard rock in you know, a zeppelin style yeah it, it kind of it encompasses all of that and so that's what i love about it it's, it's kind of so open our second album that we've actually just started writing um is even more so it's actually even more experimental and it, and it draws it goes even pushes each of those boundaries even further so i've noticed and not on purpose we just that's how it's naturally started drifting it's, yeah. it's gone in this thing so i'm uh, again right super psyched about that as well because we, we've uh, 
Debbie's here at the moment, and um, oh. we're actually probably going to do some singing today, actually. Cool. You're right, because, I mean, in the band, there's a lot of variants, right? So, like, uh, yeah. Robert DeLeo from SDP plays bass in the band. Um, you know, David Coverdale sang from Whitesnake on the debut record on one of the tunes. So there's, there's jazz inflection. So, yeah, it's it, it's exciting. And you're right. I, you know, the Led Zeppelin thing I can totally hear. And, you know, I was talking to J.J. French from Twisted Sister about this the other day, about the blues. And he, like, he's, I don't know if you have if you know him or if you've ever spoken to him about this stuff, but he goes all the way back to, like, Sonny Boy Williamson, you know, like. Right, and, right. And, and he was saying, you know, we were saying the most important thing about the blues is that it's the right note at the right time in the right tone. You know, yeah, it's not a huge Engve Malmsteen kind of production, and that's what right. makes. But that's that, that's what makes the blues, you know, so warm. But you know, I like what you do on this record because it's like you say, it's blues based. But you'll throw in like a nice little, you know, multi note lick in there to to keep it, you know, fresh and and current. Absolutely, I, I think what's really important um, about anything is a real danger of being karaoke, mm-hmm. and if you stick to a style too verbatim. And, and you don't um, uh, allow yourself to express yourself artistically, yep. that's the danger. You end up being a, a karaoke version and it's in a box and, and you remain in that box. And I think even with Def Leppard, and, and you know, we're, we're talking about Zeppelin. When, when they started, you know, um, they, they were a kind of a blues band. You know, you hear yep. some of that stuff and it was, it was full on. But then it went somewhere else, as did the Stones. And, and to me, the genius of, of Zeppelin, like when you hear Stairway to Heaven or you hear, you know, you can't always get what you want it they're obviously coming from that place yes but they went far far away from it and i th- i love that you know mm-hmm. and again with Def Leppard, you know we uh, people go well, you guys are a metal band or a rock band it's like you know we're a rock band but we're whatever we want to be yeah and i think that's the really important thing as an artist is to grow an artist you don't want to be in someone else's uh box or compartment you actually need to be in your own and with delta deep I love the fact that, that we really are. I mean, Robert DeLeo, you probably wouldn't know it from... Actually, you, you probably would. If you listen to Stone Temple Pilot bass lines, he's such a huge fan of James Jameson from, from all the Motown records. And yeah. That's where he gets his, his vibe from. And uh, with, with Delta Deep, he actually gets to you know exercise that, that demon even more. He is uh, allowed to, to get it out and push it out there. And, uh that's what we do with that, and it's and and again, like you said, you know, with with me, I, I you know, I, I learned playing guitar from Jimi Hendrix, Richie Blackmore, Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck. Mm-hmm. All of those guys were, were blues players initially, but they took it to a absolute somewhere else, and and that's what I always found. That's what made me play guitar was that excitement. It wasn't playing someone rehashing something or staying in a box. It was someone pushing the boundaries. Exactly. And, you know, like someone like Jeff Beck, he's still doing that, which is, is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Okay, Phil, so I've got your songs here. Uh, are you ready to get into them? Absolutely. All right. Okay. So your first track is by the great David Bowie from Ziggy Stardust. It's Moon Age Daydream. Yeah, that's uh, always love that track, you know, always did when, when I first heard it, you know. Yeah. And, and it just... Uh, Mick Ronson's guitar plan, but just even, you know, what it, uh, the picture it painted, like, you know, as a, as a 14 year old or however old I was when I first heard it, it um, imagery, you know, what, what's a really important thing about songwriting is uh, 
is you create a mood and an image. I mean, I'll give you a great example, like Hotel California, great song. Yeah. But the first line, you, you know what the song, it actually, it, it's like telling a story, you know, Dark Desert Highway, all of a sudden, yeah. you have this image. And, and, and with, with David Bowie, um, I didn't really know what the song was really about, and I don't to this day, but it still created an image that was great for me, it actually put me in a in a, a really cool place. And every time I heard it, it was kind of, it was haunting. It just had everything to it, you know. And, oh yeah, you know, for sure. Jo- yeah, just uh, me and Joe Elliott. You know, we got the honor of, of playing with uh, Trevor Boulder and Woody Woodmansey uh, when we done the uh, Spiders from Mars kind of reunion. Yeah. Uh, after Mick, Mick Ronson had passed away, and uh, we done the Cybernauts, and we actually recorded that song as well. But um, that was around two thousand one, I, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I remember yeah, that. I think so. But it still has the same effect on me. Whenever I hear it, I get goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, David Bowie. I mean, was you know one in a million. That record was fantastic. That that whole run of records right around that period was just you know to your point very atmospheric. Um, yeah, you know they they conjured up almost a visual for you as you listened to the music. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And 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 the the music kind of mirrored that as well, like even even lyrically. Yeah. And the fact that he was he such a weird looking guy in the band and everything at the time it was um it was all part of the of, of the same package so, oh yeah um, yeah i i love that especially those three albums hunky dory uh, ziggy stardust and aladdin Sane. yes like yeah absolutely agree okay so your next tune phil is uh by the sex pistols and it's god save the queen I, I again, first time I heard this, it was like, ah, oh, thank God, someone's actually spitting out some venom, playing some rock and roll, and not not caring mm-hmm. what anyone thought. Obviously, um, great lyrics. I mean, uh, it, it was um, it came out when there was a lot of weird things happening in London. There was a, a garbage strike, so there was garbage all around, and and you know, politically, it was a a weird time. So it was a just a a commentary. It was like a. a a social commentary of what was was kind of happening and uh obviously punk music came out but that album that they spent a lot of time doing that it was like a nine month thing it wasn't just thrown away done in a garage and you can hear it it's like spectacular guitar playing amazing drums um, yeah. and you know obviously i i got to play with paul cook and i still do we're, we're actually in a band man raise and, yeah um, yeah paul paul's actually on on the on the first delta deep track uh album as well you put him and simon lappy play on the black coffee that yeah you know, the humble pie version you know we got song you know and um so i, I still see paul all the time and, and we are going to be doing some more man ray stuff in the future but uh you know i love the 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 venom and the attack you know he plays his drums upside with the sticks upside down oh does so he? You get you know oh yeah it's like you know maximum damage and and kind of like an, a, a violent thing if you're going to play rock and roll that's how you play it so that's, it almost... to me that Almost like a Bonham thing, where you like four sticks, right? He held two sticks at the same time in, in either hand. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it had this thing. It had this kind of venom and, and excitement, and it was real. Actually, that the, the guys really really meant that. You know, I, I actually went on Steve Jones' uh, radio show a couple of weeks ago as well, when we was doing the promo for Hysteria, and we, we got to jam and, and, and play a couple of songs acoustically, which was wow, great. You know, that's like cool. I said, I, I love I love his guitar playing, and it, it really it, it changed a. a me a lot that song actually it was like and that's that's how you're supposed to play rock music Mm -hmm. we're going to change gears here your next tune is by al green and it's tired of being alone right al green love his voice love the the soul again goosebumps i mean i've I've got so many favorite singers i think 
Stevie Wonder in his prime was probably my favorite singer. But every time I heard that song, uh, and uh, specifically the the band, the, the the groove on that was just amazing, and you know the brass and it, just everything about it was just so uh, dynamic. And there was just an ebb and a flow to to not just the vocals, but just to, to the to the whole band. It actually seemed like it was a living, breathing entity. And, yeah. And the same deal, you know. Whenever I hear that now i go oh man it it has that same effect uh, actually all of these songs do have it makes me kind of i go oh it's, it's just a, a release of of something in, in a really yeah. good way it's, it's, it's like yeah so yeah, yeah. just uh, again can't get enough of that the just easy groove of al green it's so nice to put on you know at night to turn the lights down low and it's just so chill yeah totally fantastic uh, your next tune, Phil, is by The Police, and it's Walking on the Moon. Right, The Police um, are my favorite all-time band. That's that's the, the really, thing. And, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I, I think I think Sting um, was and and sometimes is my favorite songwriter. I, I think he uh, he can you know walk the line of, of actually great songwriting and uh, and pop silliness. I mean, he can yeah. really do the extreme. He actually can go. He can get a little, um, you know, blasé, and he can do anything he wants, like from a songwriting point of view. You, and, it's funny, melodically. You, it's funny. Sorry. You, sorry, it's funny you say that, Phil, because I've always said that the Sting's true talent was being able to, you know, write lyrics where he rhymed things like "forenza" and "influenza," you know. And, right. <laughs> Absolutely, he can do whatever he wants. He could be silly, you know, da da da, one yeah. minute, and then you know. Uh, yeah, every breath you take is is one of the classic songs of all time. Yeah, and, uh, uh, walking on the moon though was actually done something to me as well. It just it, again, it, it, it was a goosebump thing. You know, as much as I, I I would go, I wish I'd wrote every breath you take. It's it's walking on the moon that that sends shivers down my spine. And I think it was the the sound of the um the again the band and, and everything. You know, just so haunted mm-hmm. and, and just the, the the vibe of the whole thing and. Uh, you know the space and the, the Andy Summers, everything about it. You know that they were a true hybrid. You know they took you know the, the reggae thing and, and the rock thing, and and it came out you know in in the punk era. Yeah. Uh, so it, it just had a bit more venom in it as well. It had a lot more fire than than guys who normally. These guys were like jazz guys. You know they all played, you know in jazz bands before, but there was a, a an absolute fire yeah. in, in the playing. Like you know Stuart Copeland, one of my favorite drummers of oh, all time. Yeah. When you put those three in together, it, it just done magical things. And whenever I hear the the, the band, you know, I, I, that's again goosebump time. I know I keep saying that, but it's uh, the, the police do that every every time I hear them play. You know, I, I got to see them when they reformed, and yeah, I, again, I thought it was magical. It's my favorite band, and so you know, I would say that. But uh, I, I do think Sting's uh, the, the most uh, amazing songwriter, and you know, he can he can do a, write a classic. Uh, or, or, or you know, can and be a, make make a silly pop song, or, oh, yeah. or both. You know, so it's yeah. yeah he's he's not afraid to laugh at himself. I I like that. On, right. on his um, I I can't remember the name of the song, but on his later solo stuff, you know, he towards the it was the outro of the song, and he said every every breath you take, every cake you bake, every egg you break, you know, and he was kind of like you know, making fun of, uh, of, uh, every breath you take and, and stuff like that. Like he's just, he, he's, you know, that's his thing, right? Absolutely. I, I there's in like stories. Like there's a song on one of his solo albums. I, I, is it hung my head. I think it's almost like a country song. But yeah. 
it's more than that. It, in, instead of just doing, you know, I hate the way where country has gone now. It's it's kind of taken the the, the great elements out of country and western, which was like a story, a real heartfelt, you know, warm story, and it's got really commercial and icky. And <laughs> I, I I think with this song hung my head, you know, it's, it's a story about you know this father and son or going riding out on their on their horses, and and it's it you pay attention to it because it's such supreme songwriting. Yeah. And, and I, just listening to the lyrics, and I think that someone can make you sing along, and on another song, they can actually make you focus on the lyrics. That's that's a that's a true test of a great songwriter. So, you know, I can't say enough about Sting as a songwriter. I think he's, he's he doesn't get enough credit for that. Yeah, you know, I think another thing he doesn't get enough credit for, Phil, is his bass playing. He is a Absolutely. fantastic. You know, if you listen, you listen to. You know, any one of those police songs, you really listen to the isolated bass line. It's fantastic. It really is. And I think, what uh, again, what, what it, it's got such a uh, confidence and prominence and, you know, there's a there's a real power to it. You know, it's like it's really hardcore. It's very punk rock. Yeah. I don't mean that in a just I'm talking about the approach of it. It's like it's very unapologetic and it's, mm-hmm. and it's very you hear him whenever yeah i mean I, I love his bass playing it's great yeah and the fact that he can sing that stuff while he's playing is is kind of you know it's getty lee territory exactly yeah. exactly right so the bass lines are intricate yeah. on their own and then at the same time he's actually singing so yeah crazy yeah yeah so impressive three master class musicians for sure in the police definitely, great band definitely. uh so phil your next song is by sly and the family stone and it's called if you want me to stay from the fresh record i think it's like 1971 i want to say really was it that that early I think, yeah, oh yeah that's probably about that right yeah so um with with sly and the family stone it's you know salt on the wound soul or funk you know it's real funk and uh uh, again, when you look back at it, you know, the, the bands that, that done really well had great songs. You know, mm-hmm. Earth, Wind and Fire were, were a funk band, but they were a song band. And, yeah. and I think the same with Sly and the Family Stone, only it was a, it was a lot grittier. You know, they, Sly and the Family Stone, it was, was funky, it was gritty, it was dirty. And like I say, it's like putting salt on a wound. It's, yeah. kind of, it's sweaty, it, it bleeds, it does all this stuff. and it's greasy. Uh, yeah, it's it's all, all of those words to describe it. And I yeah. think that, um, when I first heard that, obviously the bass playing is great, but his voice is just amazing. He, he was a uh, he didn't care, and I, I I love that about artists when they when they're not really worried what other people think about. Yeah, they're just expressing their thing. So the song is is amazing in itself. The, the arrangement, the production, everything about it, the, mu- the music on it. You know, it's kind of the piano. It's just like. Who would even think of playing that? It's just got such a kind of um, element that's all, all its own. And I, I just love that. From the second I first heard it, I was like, whoa. I think my cousin played it for me. He said, check this out. It's like the Family Stone. And it's like, wow, wow, blew me away. And, and, and again, to this day, every, every time it strikes up, it does that thing that, that all of these songs do. It's like goosebumps and chills. It put, It relaxes you, but it makes you excited at the same time. And and this song really did did that for me. Makes your skin vibrate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've always loved Sly. They uh, they're a you know perennial '70s sounding band. I just love that vibe and that groove that they have too. Yeah, absolutely. Un- unapologetic again, and also you know uh, 
carving their own uh, pathway. You know, oh, that, yeah. was the, that was the great thing about it. And uh, not really worrying what other people think. It's like, this is this is where we're at. I'm expressing myself. And, and that's such an important thing as an artist, you know, whether you're, whether it's canvas, poetry, music, whatever. Yeah. That's really the approach. That's that's the rewarding part. Because, you know, even if no one buys your stuff, you, you, you've been... Um, that's the rewarding part is actually, you know, doing what you wanted, setting out to what you wanted to achieve. It's great. It's a lovely reward. Yeah, exactly. So let me ask you this. So so before Pyromania and, and, and right after you joined the band, did you have that same kind of mindset when you and Steve got together and, you know, the guys in Leopard were sitting around going, OK, we've got something here with High and Drying on through the night. You know, we're ready to make this next record. What was the mindset there? I think with Def Leppard, I think it was a, um, they actually hadn't hit on their own sound yet. You know, you, you hear high and dry and parts of that are, are still reminiscent of other bands. So there's obviously a high ACDC exactly. influence. Obviously, Matt had just come off producing uh, an ACDC album. Yeah, back you know. in black, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's going to have that. And I think that the band was still trying to find their own identity. And mm. uh, with, with Pyromania, it really started kicking off because, are, you know, with that album, it, it sounded only like Def Leppard. Yes. And, and with, with Hysteria, even more so. You know, I, I, I actually started writing songs and we again, we went in a different direction, very much like the police thing or, or yeah. Earth, Wind and Fire, where you get songs and you make a hybrid of it. You, you're not really worried what other people think. You go, I want to take the best of this and this and this and, and create something new and special. Yeah. And that's really what happened certainly with with hysteria we actually pushed the, the boat out even further on that one but um when i joined all the songs were already written for for pyromania so i i just played and sung on it so mm-hmm. it was it was great for me you know as a, as a guitar player it was like mark lang basically said right have, have some fun you know play lead guitar play solos yeah we found out i could sing so he had me singing on everything and uh, yeah uh, it, it was it was really exciting because uh, you know the band was actually finding its own uh, form. Yeah. You know, and and again going back to that, you know, the the Stones, Zeppelin, the Police. You hear the early albums, and and the band are still trying to find it. But then you know, two or three albums in, it kicks in, and all of a sudden you have the sound of the Police, the sound of the Zeppelin, or the sound of the Stones, or whoever. Really, it kind of it, it takes a little while yeah. sometimes. And that's what you know. That's what happened with Pyromania. So. When I joined, it was so exciting to be part of that process, you know, the mm-hmm. uh, band discovering themselves, basically. Well, I, I think the huge change came when you came in the band, because I think that, you know, for me, Steve Clark had kind of a, a stonesy, kind of almost a sloppy, real organic rock and roll approach. And you were known as more of a technical, you know, uh, proficient cleaner player. So the tandem that you guys formed. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think there's a there's a. There's a misconception there because I'm, I was absolutely as sloppy as Steve was. It was just uh, absolutely we were both like you know all over the place. You know before the beat, after the beat, we're racing. It's like, and I'm still like I still have to rein it in a bit. It was really? Just, uh, yeah, oh yeah. I was just a Mutt Langer actually taught me how to play in time. He's like, no, this is where two is. This is where the snare drum hits, and you 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 can be in front of it, delay it like some soul records are, are kind of just on the. I mean, that's, it's a tiny little window, but, it, yeah. you know, you can drag it back. You can be kind of lazy or hit it right on the nose. And he said, with this, we're going to hit it on the nose. And you got to... And I wasn't even aware of that stuff. So Really? He, he, oh, God, yeah. He, he really put me through that, and which I love. I love the fact it was 
the fact that I didn't even hear it before and I was racing away. A lot of guitar players do that. And yeah. rock bands are like racing away. He's like, no, 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 no. We got to be soulful here. We got to kind of hit the backbeat and punch it on the nose. You know, you got to go back and wait for it. That's where the snare goes. And he, he said, you know, even working with ACDC, you know, he said they were such a great live band. Yeah. They would respect that. They'd respect that, you know, two and four snare drum thing. Yeah, so oh, yeah. Motown stuff, you know, you'd respect that. So he basically taught me how to do that. And, and you know, you teaching uh, Steve as well. But, you know, I, it, just a lot of that fell on me with, with that thing for some reason. But, uh, no, I, absolutely. I, I've, I've heard people say, oh, yeah, you're proficient. You do all this. It's like, yeah, you're kidding, right? It's like, oh, I'm all over the place. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was just something that... Um, that I learned how to do. I, I still get excited and, and, and race when, you know, cause I'm still a rock guitar player. You know, yeah. I'm still like a 16 year old kid. <laughs> and, um, but I, I, I still, I, I also know how to, to rein it in a little bit, you know, I have mm-hmm. to kind of focus, take a deep breath and, you know, <laughs> count to four, <laughs> one, two, three, four. And, you know, it's like, yeah, it's quite funny. Well, I, I was thinking when I was getting ready for a call here that I was thinking about the fact that, I think it was in 1980, Steve Harris from Iron Maiden approached you to join that band and, and you declined. Right. And it, well, you know, I, I think, mm. but I was, I was Sorry, just, what? no, I, I was just thinking about the fact that you could have really changed the course of eighties hard rock and heavy metal history. If you think about it, because had you joined Maiden, you know, and not joined Def Leppard, I think that Leppard probably might not have been as successful and Maiden likely would have sounded quite different based on, you know, you being in the place of Adrian Smith, right? Right. I mean, I didn't really decline. I just waited too long to get back to them. Oh, did and, you and, really? and, but yeah, oh yeah. And by that time, you know, Adrian was in the in the band, and he's perfect for for Maiden. Yeah. I, I knew Paul Diano, who was the singer at the time, since I was six years old. We used to go oh, school together, and, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and and they were local. You know, I, I grew up in um, Walthamstow, and, and it was Leytonstone, Walthamstow, all these areas, and you know, East Ham, West Ham, and and that that was that's where the where the band you know kicked off. So. They, they were a local band and um, really cool guys. Love love them. They're, they're, they're wonderful. So, yeah, we'd have got on straight away, you know, because we did get on anyway. So mm. um, that, that I, f- I find is, is the most important part. And all the other stuff happens eventually. So, yeah, who knows? Who knows what would have happened? But uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that it turned out the way it did. You know, I, I love the fact. Um, you know, I, again, you know, I, I, I like the... the trajectory that Def Leppard were doing from the first album yeah. to High and Dry was a massive jump and mm-hmm. and then when I joined it it changed again there was a, a, a different uh, a, a dynamic you know like I said it was a more aggressive guitar approach yes. and, uh, and obviously singing as well which you know again I have a more aggressive singing approach as well where it's mm-hmm. kind of shouting, shouting in tune I mean that's, that's really what we do we kind of chant and, and scream in tune so it's a <laughs> yeah well, for me, it was kind of a departure from, you know, the first two records for me were very ACDC based and Pyromania was the start of something, you know, different and special in my mind. Uh, me too. I, I thought all of a sudden his, his Def Leppard, it's, it's their own music. They've, they've uh, put all these things together in a, in, a, in a kind of a jar, shook it up and, and this is what's coming out yeah. as opposed to being too much like, like something else. And that happens, it used to happen a lot more, you know, when, when, you know, record labels and, and management and people were, uh, were, would nurture an artist to, to get to that point. It doesn't really happen anymore. So, yeah. you know, if you don't don't get it on your first album or your first song, you, you, you're kind of done. Or or if you haven't got a, a huge 
you know following to kick off with most bands don't even get a look in so it's a it's a very interesting time we're in now was as opposed to then when it was you could have two or three albums before you actually found your stride and yeah. and that's really what happened with Def Leppard it was great it was, it was a wonderful to be part of that really exciting process which i still believe i still am i think you know we um our last album that we put out we um we, we didn't really listen to anyone else we actually wanted to do a record for our, ourselves we usually give ourselves a briefing we go well this album should kind of sound like this or sound like that and yeah we went in to record one song and then came out with 12 they're all drastically different ideas and oh. the fact that it was diverse we, we, we kind of really dug so i think we're gonna pursue that for for a while now i, I like the idea it, it felt really uh good and 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 felt kind of um just the right it was it was exciting it was really cool to do that you're not following a kind of a, a trend or a, a specific kind of brief it was just doing our own thing and, and it was great yeah i loved it yeah you know phil that's where the best music comes from because it's real and it's legitimate right i think so yeah yeah uh, okay, your next tune, my friend, is Jimi Hendrix and Fire. Right, Jimi Hendrix, uh, my favorite guitar player of all time. Yep. Um, I still think, I don't think anyone's got close to him. I think um, as an artist, it was almost like, uh, you know, when you see these people ch being channeled and they're doing like, they're painting with their feet on two yeah. different canvases <laughs> and they've got two, two other canvases and they're doing stuff and their eyes roll back and you just see the whites that are i think he was kind of like that you know yeah. i think this it's coming in and it's coming out and there was so much he was the first electric rock guitarist i know yeah yeah we can say all these other guys and yeah you know uh les paul kind of invented electric guitar playing but no one took it that far he was yeah. the first rock play he was a, he was a funk play he was a blues player he was a soul player and like i said you know those um, concert, those little club dates, you know, where it'd be BB King, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, uh, Isley Brothers. He would play for Little Richard early, earlier on, and wow. the Isley Brothers. So you know, not the same night, but you know, it, it was he was letting all of this stuff in, and then when he kind of let it out, it was this psychedelic rock, and, yeah. and he didn't care what anyone thought. It was like just, which is brilliant. I mean, and so many people are so problematic with being judged i mean it's a big problem especially like millennial actually artists in general they're so worried about you know people's judgment of them yeah but it affects it affects their vibe or yeah. their whole thing with with hendrix he really didn't care it was like you know if i'm out of tune here if i play the wrong chord if i sing wrong here so what and i i love that there was a purity and you you got to hear what he was getting at and i i, I think that no one come close and I, I i like i said still no one no one has come close and it was just like all of these entities just being released at the same time and, oh uh, yeah yeah with fire you know again it, it does that thing it's like mitch mitchell i loved his playing on that it was just yeah. like crazy and when i was when i was younger i didn't really understand mitch mitchell's playing i thought it was a little busy and i wanted to hear it a bit more like a straight acdc thing but as i got older i was like wow this is the best drum ever you know he's playing <laughs> with jimmy who's doing the same thing they're mirroring each other and I, yeah. I thought that that's that was magical and it's a little bit like the police you had this song and you had stuart copeland doing something so left of center and so left field that, yeah. um, but it worked it still grooved and it still respected the the song <clears throat> and i think yeah again with, with mitch mitchell and and, and jimmy hendrix doing all this crazy stuff at the same time, but still respecting the song, the melody, the actual groove and everything. It was, it was like magical. So 
fire for me really does it and we we covered it uh, on our second man rays album we've done a, a version of um fire and we had to get yeah. um we had to get approval from the uh, the Hendrix estate. Oh, really? Uh, and they, yeah, whenever you do a Hendrix song, you you have to get uh, permission to cover it. So they uh. they give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So we got the, the thumbs up, which was really cool. That's you good. Know, it's, uh, so and then, yeah, it was on the on the second uh, Man Ray's album. But uh, this always gets me excited. It's just just amazing whenever I hear it. Yeah, Hendrix was just, I mean, so radical. Nobody had ever seen anything like that. I always think about that story about uh, Pete Townsend and Daltrey being in a club and seeing Hendrix for the first time. And Daltrey, or, or Townsend rather, was furious. He was angry. He looked at Daltrey and said, we're, we're out of a job. We're done. That's it. We may as well just fold the band. <laughs> they all they all did that. I, you know, hear about, you know, Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, same deal. They'd all come in there. and But they, they would also get tears in their eyes in, in, in a good way. It was like someone's doing what we're trying to achieve and I, I i love the fact that you know if you're trying to achieve someone and someone's doing it so spectacularly it's yeah. inspiring i i um just going back to the mutt langer thing you know a lot of people go well you know was it a real struggle yeah it was hard work but it was so inspiring it's so inspiring to see someone of that talent and magnitude working with them and they're, they're actually expressing some of that inspiration and, and you to be part of it is just I, I love that, and, and and again, you know, going back to those albums that we did with Mutt, that's what I got out of it. I, I got it wasn't me just uh, learning how to sing or play guitar properly. It was me getting inspired to do something better and uh, to raise my game. And uh, yeah, I, I love it. And and uh, again, I think with with Hendrix, you know, a, a lot of those guys, you know, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, all of them, they would see this guy and go, "Wow, this is this is wonderful. This is really this this is you, you know." Uh, spiritual almost you know oh yeah definitely yeah it was like nothing else and to your yeah. point i've never seen anything like it you know to this day really me too no, not you know songs it was psychedelic it was rock and roll it was mm -hmm. blues it was jazz it was funk and it didn't care again i keep going back to this thing it was unapologetic it was it, it didn't there was no worrying about judgment from others and i yep. uh, like i said it's the most important thing you know, when anyone comes to me and they go, oh, I'm a guitar player. I, I just done this thing up in uh, Monterey, California. It was called the G4 Experience with uh, Joe Satriani, Paul Gilbert, Warren D. Martini. And we yeah. played guitar and we done seminars. And people were asking me, they go, well, what's it, what would you suggest to someone playing? And I said, you should sing. You've got to be able to sing and get out of your, um, you mustn't be scared. You mustn't be you know, it's scared of being judged, and and by singing and being able to sing in front of someone a cappella on your own yep. is a great way of doing it. And it's, uh, I always suggest that. I always think it's a, it's a great idea to because then all of a sudden it opens something else up in your artistic kind of um, arsenal, if you like. You know, it kind of it, it frees you up, and then all of a sudden you, you're able to do other things. And uh, that that's a really important thing. That that judgment thing. So many people get so intimidated yeah. by what other people think about them. Oh, you know, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't worry about it. I certainly don't. You know, like I always said, I, I I've got such supreme confidence in myself <laughs> or, or ability. You know, even if I'm singing the wrong words or I'm out of tune or mess something up, I don't care because I'm trying 100. percent And to me, that that's that's amazing. And 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 you get wonderful things coming out of that kind of frame of mind, that reference. And uh, going back to the Hendrix thing, that that's what that was all about. Yeah, exactly. 
Okay, Phil, your last song here is by Led Zeppelin, and it's When the Levee Breaks. Right. Um, this sounds like a blues song, actually. Uh, mm. it, it kind of is, but it, um, it was so muscular. It, it was kind of rock, and it, it just had... Huge drums. Oh, God, it's, it's, it's the archetypal rock drum. Yeah. You know, everyone, you know, used that, that as, a, as an image and as a reference. And, oh, yeah. And, and again, it was loud and confident, and it smacked you in the face. And it was blues, and it was hard rock. It, 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 was, it straddled whatever it wanted to do. And I, 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 I'm talking of supreme confidence... The song itself or, or the production or the version that we hear does that. It has supreme confidence in whatever it is. Robert Plant is amazing. Jimmy is, you know, off the, off the charts. He's playing and, and his, his groove on this just, it, again, gives me goosebumps. You yeah. know? I was fortunate enough to get to hang with Jimmy um, the last part of last year. We got, um, Def Leppard got um, a Classic Rock Award and we went to... Tokyo and I got to play with Jeff Beck and oh that's great hang with, yeah and hang with Jimmy Page and you know he was just saying and he was he was at the rehearsals while I was singing and playing and and, and that was an honor for me but with Jimmy and a, and a lot what a lot of people don't understand I think his pure genius was that he was an arranger producer songwriter and, mm-hmm. and he didn't really care about he was just trying to achieve this uh this sound or very much like a um you know, a, a, when you hear great composers, Beethoven, Mozart, they were trying to do something that they were trying to get something out, and it was artistry. It was it was a blank canvas, and they had this kind of image. and And Jimmy had that. You know, yeah. He was that guy. He was that 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 genius composer. And I still think um, whenever he, he, you know, nailed one of these songs to the wall, that's what you were seeing. It wasn't really Jimmy Page, the guitar player, although the the guitar playing was amazing and unique and all that it was the the genius of his composer status yeah uh, and, and and even on this you know this blues hard rock masterpiece whenever i hear that i go oh my god it, it, it again goosebump time always yeah and you know to your point there are a lot more intricate more complex zeppelin tunes and you know that jimmy page was you know the mastermind behind those but for this song it's it's very simple and very straightforward but the same thing applies you know he was a visionary and he had a vision and the song came out uh as it did based on his vision absolutely absolutely so Phil, that is the end of your list, sir. This uh, this has been a great chat. Thank you. I know you're really busy, and I want to thank you again for your time. I just really appreciate the fact that you did this with me today, and 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 thank you. Well, thank you. I, another couple of things, just on on the actually, I could have gone the, the list. I could have kept going. Oh, I know. I think, uh, <laughs> we can do another one if you want. Yeah, everybody says that. Papa was a Rolling Stone by the Temptation, absolute masterpiece for different reasons. Whatever I could go on, but I did want a, a shout out to. Um, 604 which is a is a shoe company up in vancouver i actually just splashed painted um 30 pairs of sneakers yeah for for this uh, uh it wasn't really an event i was i was up in vancouver we were playing there death leopard were and uh-huh. i strolled into this uh sneaker store but it looked like a gallery an art gallery and okay before before you knew it i was, I was talking to james lepp who, who's the the owner and i went in literally the day of of, of the the Def Leppard show in Vancouver and mm-hmm. literally splashed painted uh, and wrote my name in Japanese yeah. uh, on, on a pair, a couple of pairs of sneakers, very much like I did. I, I've got this guitar that's a, 
at Jackson's 30th anniversary, I, I, I painted all these 30 guitars for their anniversary. And uh, yeah. one of them ended up on, on Porn Stars, on the TV show Porn Stars. Oh, I heard uh, about that, yeah. <laughs> well, I'd done 30 pairs of sneakers like that, you okay. know, up in Canada. Yeah. And um, they just got released last week and were sold out in less than 24 hours. Oh, so wow. That was pretty pretty amazing. So that's my um, Canadian connection because I was <laughs> I was... All, all about the thing. So I thought I'd, I'd have to mention that, you know, what, while I was on here because, uh, you know, it's very relevant and, and the, the store's amazing. The sneakers are amazing. So, uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah they, they came out great. And we're, we're going to be doing some other stuff in, in, in future. We're, we're going to be doing some canvas, you know, you know, vegan option sneakers and just, a, a dip, you know, this, this first run was, was just on a, on a pair of, you know, regular high tops but um yeah we're going to do something else in the future as well it's very exciting and, that's uh, really cool yeah good fun very cool yeah uh speaking of canadian connection um my pals uh lee eckley and uh of course ian o'malley who is uh a little known fact he actually is canadian he was born in canada <laughs> say hello i to didn't you. know that really really yeah he was born in really? charlottetown do you know where uh, would you know where prince edward island is in canada yeah just uh, yeah, out on the east coast. Yeah, that's that's where Ian grew up. Well, he kept that quiet. All that New York, all that New York stuff, you know. That's right. All those New Yorkers and that. They they're so proud. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So he's wow. a, he's a closet Canadian, Phil. So the next time you there see you him, go. raise that point. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I get my Canadian phrase book out and let him have it. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely do. All right, well, Phil. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it, my friend. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. All right. Take good care, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? Sounds good. All right. We'll see you definitely up in Toronto next yeah. time. So. Well, the next time you guys come through, I'll come and see you. All right. Sounds good. All right. Okay. All right. Cheers. Take care, Phil. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Def Leppard guitarist, Mr. Phil Collin. Until next time, everybody, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. <laughs>